The story of Daniel is a fascinating one. And I think you can give this chapter to a thousand different pastors and they could all come up with different topics and different truths to pull. And that's just how God's word works. It's, it's alive. It's always teaching us things. But in Daniel chapter 1, we find a very interesting uh, part of Daniel's life. It's the beginning of the life that we know of Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. But you know, the story of Daniel doesn't actually begin here. It actually begins way back in Isaiah chapter number 38. So I'm going to turn back just a few pages, well, more than a few pages. In my Bible, it's about 100 pages, to Isaiah chapter 38. And in Isaiah chapter 38, we come to a king named King Hezekiah. King Hezekiah was actually a, a pretty good king. He served the Lord. Uh, but unfortunately, in the beginning of chapter 38, we find that Hezekiah was sick unto death in verse 1. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord. Now this is not very encouraging. If somebody is sick and uh, the prophet comes to you and says these words, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die. And just in case he didn't get it, then he says, and not live. So thou shalt die and not live. This is the words of comfort from the prophet while Hezekiah was sick in bed. Well, Hezekiah didn't, didn't really want to die, as nobody does. So Hezekiah turned his face toward the wall and prayed unto the Lord. And he gives his prayer unto God, and he asks God to please heal him. Well, if you've studied the story, you know that God grants Hezekiah 15 more years to his life, 15 more years to serve him and to rule and to reign. And just to make sure God, uh, just to make sure Hezekiah knew that God would keep his promise, God turned the sun back 10 degrees. <laughs> wow. Hezekiah, with his 15 extra years, does some things good for the Lord. He made some peace and he helped, uh, helped uh, fortify some of, the city, some of the city of Jerusalem. But it's chapter 39 where we find the story of Daniel starting to take place indirectly. It says in Isaiah chapter 39 and verse 1, At that time, Merodach Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent letters and a present to Hezekiah. For he had heard that he had been sick and was recovered. Sounds nice. But in verse 2, And Hezekiah was glad of them and showed them the house of his precious things, the silver and the gold and the spices and the precious ointment and all the house of his armor and all that was found in his treasures. There was nothing in his house nor in all his dominion that Hezekiah showed them not. Hezekiah got a little too excited about living an extra 15 years of his life, uh, neighboring, city, neighboring, um, uh, neighboring people came over, neighboring countries came over, and Hezekiah was so happy he just showed them all of the wealth of his city. I don't think there was, it doesn't seem like there was a lot of pride perhaps in this, but maybe just a little bit of foolishness. Because in verse 3, Then came Isaiah the prophet, unto King Hezekiah, and said unto him, What said these men? And from whence came they unto thee? 
And Hezekiah said, oh, they're coming from a far country unto me, even from Babylon. Then he said, what have they seen in thy house? And Hezekiah answered, uh, all that is in my house have they seen. There is nothing among my treasures that I have not showed them. I don't think he's under, he doesn't get that Isaiah is not happy right now. He's, he's, he's uh, interrogating Hezekiah, but he doesn't seem to understand. Verse 5, then said Isaiah to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And here it is. And of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. That's the beginning of Daniel's life right there. Hezekiah, now the, the doom of Israel had already been prophesied ahead of time, but Hezekiah sort of sealed it right here. When Hezekiah was granted an extra 15 years of his life, a king sent letters to him from Babylon, and he showed this king all of his wealth, and Isaiah tried to point out how foolish that was. And because of this, we find the story of Daniel taking place. Isaiah prophesied that one day all of your seed, your lineage, would be taken captive to Babylon. They will be made eunuchs. Well, about approximately 100 to 150 years later, Daniel chapter 1 takes place. Because we find in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And in this besiege that took place from Nebuchadnezzar, it was instructed of Nebuchadnezzar to, uh, in verse 3, he spoke, he says, okay, Ashpenaz, listen here. When you take over Israel, I need you, in verse 4, to find children with no blemish, but well-favored. And skillful in all wisdom. Uh, well, at least I would have been safe. <laughs> they wouldn't have taken me captive right there. He said, skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science. He wanted smart young men, men that, that had character, men that, that uh, young men that they could train and they could indoctrinate into their culture, into their way of life. Somebody that they could train and they could grow up and they could help be wise men and they could be eunuchs and they could help lead that, their upcoming nation. Interesting why Nebuchadnezzar would make such a decision to do that. Why would he take captives, children of captives, to help, to help rule and reign someday in the palace? It's usually nations before them would keep a distance from each other. Well, Nebuchadnezzar had to make such a decree because it was prophesied by Isaiah that it would happen. And this is where, in verse 6, we find these four men. So many, growing up in Sunday school, you hear stories of these men. The fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as their names would be changed to. And Daniel in the lion's den. It all comes from this. It all starts right here in chapter 1. But you've got to understand, we don't really know exactly how old Daniel was, but we do know he was, he had to have been 
young because in verse 4, they were looking for children in whom was no blemish. So a lot of people suggest perhaps he could have been a young teenager, maybe a young adult. We don't know, but chances are he didn't have wife and kids. He was just a kid still. He was just a, a young man. Him and his, his three friends, just kids being ripped out of their home. Kids being taken away and brought into captivity, away from mom, away from dad, away from culture, away from everything they loved and knew. Now they were being brought into a brand new world. And if I could say it this way, their world was overnight just turned upside down. And the reason I love the life of Daniel is because when his world was turned upside down, he didn't quit on God. Oftentimes when our world gets turned upside down, we find ourselves quitting on God. And maybe not overnight, we don't just openly quit on God, but over time we fade from him. But Daniel, when his world got turned upside down, we find him getting closer and closer to God. And man, what a difference it made in his life. What do we do when our world gets turned upside down? Well, I'll tell you what Daniel did. In verse 8, the Bible says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Daniel and his three friends and everybody else were brought unto, in verse 7, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave them names. He changed their names to Belshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, uh, to Meshach, he changed their names there, and they were getting ready to start indoctrinating them in the way of the Babylon, in the way of Babylon, to change their culture, to change their religion, to change what they believed in, to change their lifestyle, to change their religion, perhaps to change what they thought they knew before, and to turn them into one of them. But it was at this point in time, before the training began, that Daniel purposed. In his heart. The first thing Daniel did, the first thing he did was he stayed faithful. Daniel stayed faithful. Daniel, the Bible says, purposed. The word purpose simply means to put. Daniel literally put, he placed something in his heart on purpose. He determined in his heart, that he would stay true to the laws found in the Bible and taught by his parents. This is, he purposed in his heart before he was, he even, this is just near the beginning of his training camp. Him and his friends are sitting at a table and there's, this food is being served to them. And this food that's being served, his friends are looking around saying, we're not supposed to eat this. This is against the laws. This is against the, the culture, this is against uh, what we were taught as a children. This is against the laws that God gave to us in the Bible. This is against all that. We can't eat this. And I could see maybe one of, maybe Shadrach or Meshach were looking around saying, Daniel, come on, let's just eat it. Let's just stay under the radar right now. Let's not make a big deal. Well, you know, we can compromise on this one thing. I don't know if they said that, but Daniel must have stood up and said, no. I am purposing in my heart right now that we are not 
going to change. We're not going to change who we are just because our world is turned upside down. God obviously has a reason for this. We need to stay faithful. He would not let his present circumstances or his dire situation determine the kind of person he would be. Instead, he purposed to continue to be faithful to God. Oftentimes when circumstances hit us hard, when our world gets turned upside down, it starts to show who we really are. It shows who we're really made of. When our character is, is challenged, when our life gets thrown, when a life throws us a curveball, it shows what kind of a person we really are. It shows if we're a fake. It shows if we're real or not. I can't help but think of Christians who get persecuted. You think of countries like China and places where oftentimes being a Christian isn't publicly allowed. To be a Christian in a place where it's illegal takes a real Christian. Because to walk around today in Canada and America and say, yeah, I'm a Christian, anybody could say that with no consequence. But to say that in a country where it's not allowed only, there's only such thing as a real Christian. Only people who are willing to, to die for their cause. You see, our world today is constantly throwing at us the culture that we should be like, or the styles we should have, or the trends we should follow, or the ideas we should believe in, or the theology we should trust. The world throws at us the philosophies we should hold to. You see, when our world gets turned upside down, we tend to panic oftentimes and kind of go with the flow that the world has laid before us. But what we should do is be like Daniel and determine that we will not run to culture for help, that we will not run to trends for comfort or ideas to believe in or a theology to trust in or philosophies to hold to. Hold to. When our world gets turned upside down, we should keep our faith and trust in Almighty God. And that's what Daniel did. He did it at the very beginning. He didn't... At the, before even the three-year process began, him and his three friends determined we're not going to defile ourselves. We're not going to compromise. We're going to stand strong right here and right now. And right now, we're living in a we're living in a, a time where our world is getting turned upside down. Jobs right now are getting uh, some people are losing their jobs. Important supplies and needs are hard to find. Some jobs are working overtime with no end in sight. There are healthcare workers and, and those who are having to put in more hours. Finances are uncertain. Fear is abounding while uncertainty lingers in the future. And this isn't the first time our world's been turned upside down. I'm sure in times past we've gone through hard times and, and trials, and this won't be the last time it'll happen. We're going to get through this virus and something else is going to come at us in the future. We shouldn't let fear, we shouldn't let the circumstance that we're in define who we are, but let Jesus Christ define who we are to keep our faith in him. It's when our world gets turned upside down, we see what we're really made of. It's when our world gets turned upside down, we see our true character. Daniel's character showed through as he purposed in his heart to stay faithful to God. So what do you do when your world gets turned upside down? First of all, we need to stay faithful. 
But verse 9 happens. And I love verse 9. And verse 8 has always been a, a, a it's been a, a soft spot in my heart. Obviously, our, our youth group is called the Purposed Teens. And it comes right from this verse right here. That we would challenge the teens that they would have a purpose. That they would have a, a reason for living. And that reason would be Christ. But don't miss verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Say, Pastor Tim, that's not that special. I think verse 8's better. Maybe you should go back to that verse. Okay, we will go back to verse 8. But here he is. His world just got turned upside down. He's in a completely different place. He's away from parents. At this point in time, it seems like it's still fairly new. He's still fairly early in, in the stage. He, he's been away from mom and dad maybe for a couple weeks, maybe longer. I'm not sure. But Daniel's away. He's realizing now that he's probably here to stay. He's probably not going to get to go back home, if ever. Daniel now, and maybe with his friends, are talking and they're considering and perhaps thoughts of just, man, let's just kind of blend in. Let's just go in with the crowd. Or perhaps thoughts of, let's panic. How can we escape? Can we run? Can we get out of here? What do we do? But Daniel in verse 9, we find that he's making friends. He's he's finding favor with the prince of the eunuchs, his enemy right now. I mean, these are the people that took him away from his home, that ripped him out. These are the people that, that who, and we don't know what happened to Daniel's parents. I don't know if they were killed. Maybe they were spared. I'm not sure. But we know that these are his enemy right now. I could understand maybe if this was 10 or 20 years down the road and they've befriended people, but we're talking about right at the very beginning of his captivity, he's making friends with his enemy. And I can't help but find when Daniel's world was getting turned upside down, he did stay faithful to God, but he also stayed calm. He stayed calm. He didn't panic. He didn't get angry. He didn't lash out, but he started befriending his captors. He started befriending those around him. He started trying to make the best of his situation without compromising his beliefs and his stand. He stayed true and faithful to God, but yet he, he stayed calm and he still interacted with people. And this interaction would eventually lead to opportunity to witness and to prove who God really is, and that's coming soon. But he chose to stay calm through it all. Everywhere Daniel went, people loved him. Even when he was making crazy demands, as he's about to in the next verse. Daniel would, Daniel, when he could have resented or even hated the pagans he was around, he chose to stay calm and be friendly to his captors. You know, in Daniel chapter 6, it's a famous chapter. It's the chapter where he gets thrown in the lion's den. If you look in Daniel chapter 6, we find the king at this time, his name is King Darius. It says in Daniel chapter 6 and verse 1, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom and 120 princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them. <laughs> so you have King Darius, and you have 120 counselors to rule over the kingdom. But of those counselors, Daniel was one, the first. So you have Darius, and then you have Daniel. <laughs> and then you have the rest of the kingdom. 
Darius, and now Daniel's an elderly man. He's probably around the age of 80-something when he was thrown in the lion's den. But Daniel, all throughout his life, was making friends. He was staying calm. It's important to notice that God, in verse 9, had brought Daniel into favor. We're back in chapter 1. God brought Daniel into favor, into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Now, I'm sure that Daniel had moments of time where he wasn't very patient. He probably had times of question, of doubt, maybe a little frustration and anger unto the Lord. I imagine so, perhaps. But we, see, we, never, we don't find this in the scripture. We find that instead, God was giving Daniel the ability to stay calm in his current situation. Because God had bigger plans for Daniel. God didn't want Daniel to run out in rage. God had some big plans for Daniel. And Daniel proved himself by, first of all, staying faithful. When his world got turned upside down, he immediately ran back to God and said, God, I am not going to let this culture change who I know I'm supposed to be. I'm going to stay true and faithful to you. And God saw that faithfulness, and God in return now grants Daniel tender love and, with, and favor with his captors. God gives Daniel the ability to stay calm and to work through the situation that he's in. Now we know that this program that they were involved in, in uh, verse 5, was a three-year program. I don't know what the program involved. Obviously, there was some eating. They're, they were looking for kids who understood science and were smart. So this was probably a three-year indoctrination period. They were going to prepare them to be used by King Nebuchadnezzar. But just at the very beginning of it all, before the training even began, Daniel's faithfulness was starting to show forth. He gave Daniel the ability to have the patience and charity needed to befriend his enemies. <laughs> I don't know about you, but it's common and natural for our flesh to panic when we're frustrated, when we're angry, when we're upset, when we're discouraged, when we're confused. But it takes a real man. It takes a real woman to stand in the face of discomfort and smile. To stand and look at, at what is causing you discomfort and to look upon it with patience and love and to smile on your face. How can we smile and remain sane and friendly when our world is being flipped upside down? How did Daniel maintain his, his disposition? How was Daniel able to do so? In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 6, the Bible says, Humble yourselves. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Peter gives us the formula for how we are to stay calm and friendly when our world is flipped upside down. Peter says, first of all, you got to humble yourself and admit that there's not much if anything, you can do. When your world is turned upside down, remember that God is in control and there's really not a whole lot we can do except 
stay faithful to him. Except continue living the life that we were living, hopefully, before. And according to Peter, once we've humbled ourselves, then the second thing is give it all to God. It seems a little too easy. It also it seems a little redundant, isn't this is something we've been hearing now for a while. When when Daniel's world gets flipped upside down, he he copied what Peter did. He humbled himself before God, and then he gave it to God. Daniel realized that his circumstance was way out of his control. So what did he do when his world got turned upside down? He stayed faithful to God, and he stayed calm. God gave him that ability to do so. But not only did Daniel stay faithful in verse 8, and in verse 9, not only was he, allowed, was he able to stay calm, but we find in verse 10, And the prince of the eunuchs said unto David, I fear my lord, the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sorts? You see, because in verse number 8, Daniel, after he purposed in his heart, then he makes this crazy request unto the king, unto, well, unto the prince of the eunuchs. He said, we don't want to eat this meat or this wine. We want to eat something else. Say, what was that something else? In verse 10, in verse 11, Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel. Verse 12, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Daniel was challenging. He was looking towards the king at this time, he was looking at Ashpenaz, who now was looking at his servants, Melzar. And he said, sir, we can't eat this. It's against everything I live for. It's against everything we stand for. Me and my, my three friends, we, this isn't for us. And uh, he was pulling his hair out of his head saying, well, what do you want me to do? The king gave you this food. You're making my life difficult here. We're just starting this program. Can't you just kind of just eat it for now and we'll work it out later? And Daniel said, no, no, no. Tell you what. Give us 10 days. 10 days on this diet right here. And let us, verse 13, let our countenances be looked upon before thee. And the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat. So what he said was, Give us 10 days, all I ask, to prove to you that we have a God in heaven. Give us 10 days to let us demonstrate our faithfulness to our God. 10 days to compare us with the rest of the children. And you tell us, you determine whose countenance appears fairer, who looks like they're in better health and in better shape. I wished after 10 days that. Uh, all it would take, I should say, is just a, a little 10-day uh, fasting or a little 10-day adjustment of our diet, then everything would be fine. But normally after 10 days, it, it usually it takes weeks or it takes uh, months for these things to take place. However, we do know that just a, a little adjustment of our diet can really change our energy. 
can really change the way that we interact. If you're constantly eating junk food and eating uh, the wrong kinds of food, you find yourself kind of being sluggish and, and tired. If you adjust that a little bit, eat the right kinds of fruits and vegetables, you find yourself looking better. Uh, statistics say, too, the people that don't eat right oftentimes struggle sleeping well through the night, especially if there's no exercise taking place. Now, that I could attest to. Maybe you've seen somebody who you could tell they didn't sleep well the night before. Maybe you're, you're sitting next to somebody right now at your home. Maybe uh, it, it only takes a couple good days of sleep for those bags to change under their eyes, for their countenance to really brighten up. You see, Daniel and his friends stepped out in faith with God on their side. And they showed up the entire Babylonian staff. Daniel's world got turned upside down. He didn't just, when he was there, he didn't just stay faithful to God. He didn't just stay calm, but he also stayed active. He stayed active. He realized that his world is different now. He's going to stay faithful to God. He's got to stay calm. But at the same time, I got to keep going. I got to keep serving the Lord. If I'm not moving, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going the opposite direction. I don't want to just be stagnant for the Lord. I need to keep progressing. Even though I'm in captivity, even though my world is different than where it was before, we need to stay active. And that's exactly what Daniel did. In his dire circumstance, he stayed active for God. And the question I have for us today is how can... How can we stay active when our world has changed? Especially some of us now where we're not allowed to leave home. Or many of us find ourselves having a lot more time on our hands. How do we stay active for the Lord when we're limited in what we can do on the outside? We can't even interact with people like, we're supposed, like we usually can. How do we stay active for the Lord during such a time as this? Well, there's some obvious ones. Many of us have been struggling with our personal devotion life. We blame it on work. Some of us blame it on this or that. And there may, many of us, our job or hours have gone down. We find ourselves with more time on our hands. It's time to get in the book. It's time to get in that routine. It's time to start being faithful to God with our personal devotions. How could we be active during a time when our world is upside down like it is right now, we can watch every single service that we can online. We can watch the podcasts that are being filmed. We can, we can, uh, we can listen to more sermons. There are some great churches out there that are also live streaming throughout the week. You can listen to messages. We can fill ourselves with God's love. We can ask God, Lord, how can I be a witness to you right now when I'm not allowed to interact with people? may be a bit tricky, but there's always a way to spread the gospel of Jesus. There's always a way we can be a witness to other people. When, we're, when, we're, when we find ourselves having difficulty staying active for God, perhaps you can consider grabbing a good book or two and reading them. We have some great books here at the church that you can read in your spare time, books that can help you draw closer to God. I'm not necessarily referring to fiction, or these other kinds of books that are entertainment, not that there's anything wrong with some of them, but reading good books that'll draw us closer to God. I'm talking about staying active for God. 
learning to put down the internet and focus on your family. You say, but Pastor Tim, internet's all we have right now. <laughs> what am I going to do without the internet? Well, I'm glad we have the internet because we wouldn't be uh, broadcasting right now. But you know, when you find yourself with more time, I challenge you, especially if your parents, to go, down go downstairs and turn it all off and focus on each other. Some of you have been granted more time, the gift of time, so to speak, even though maybe not happening the way you want, but you can't change the circumstance right now. What do you do with this extra time? Why don't you spend it with the people that you're living with? How can we spend more time with our family? We can, we can, play, uh, we can play with each other. How could, how could parents spend more time with their kids? Well, there are some simple ways, just interacting with them, building a relationship with them, even if it's just playing board games or if it's just uh, trivia or Bible trivia, breaking out a puzzle, doing things that we can interact with our family. I even heard of some people right now who are journaling their experiences right now of, of the quarantine life or the isolation life, journaling it, and perhaps one day being able to look back and remember this time. Who knows, maybe something like this will happen again in the future. Maybe it'll be a long time. And when a uh, world breaks out in a panic, you can say, Oh, son, come here. Let me show you when I was a kid what we did when we went through this. And to journal the time and see how God brought you through it. Journal it for the, uh, with God in mind. Perhaps this is a good time to teach children a new skill. Maybe if uh, you know your way around the car, how to change the oil in your car, you can use this extra time to build a relationship, a strong relationship with your children or teach them how to sew, perhaps, if that's something that can be done within the home. And there's always YouTube that could, uh, that could show you how to do things. Don't do anything dangerous, though, without uh, special help. But this is a chance to, to bond with each other and to learn each other and to get e gain each other's trust, to learn an instrument, to uh, practice cooking, to look at old photos and, and memories of the past and, and remember the good old times. Photos, real photos are a, a dying thing. We live in a digital world. Listening to godly music together as a family. How about making cards and sending them off to loved ones, the people that need encouragement? Sending them off to friends or to family. Build a pillow for it. Have a picnic. Check in with others. See who's, who needs help. Check in on the elderly who may be in quarantine. See how you can help, uh, help them with their groceries. Family, prayer time, and Bible study. The list can go on and on. How we can learn to impact our home. And use this time that God has given us for God. What the devil's trying to do is flip our world upside down, panic and throw panic and fear and discouragement and terror and cripple us so that we, we do nothing for God or very little. He'll throw things in your mind like, well, you can't talk to people right now, so don't bother witnessing. Uh, you, you, can't, you can't really go to church, so uh, no point in reading your Bible. Uh, you can read a little bit to make yourself feel good, but you know, don't get too close to God. And you know, you're limited right now, so don't even, don't even try to do this, or don't even try to do that. And discouragement, discouragement, let's come out of this thing closer to God than when we came into it. What better time to draw close to God than when your world gets turned upside down for him? Daniel, he didn't even stop here. He kept going. And every chapter, we find him getting closer 
and closer to God. When a decree came through that everybody had to worship a, a golden image, what did Daniel's friends do? They stood their ground and they said, we will not bow. Nebuchadnezzar had this weird dream and he asked all of his astrologers to come up and please, if you can tell me what my dream was and then if you could tell me what it means, you'll all be saved. But if nobody can, I'm going to wipe you all out. So what does Daniel do? He grabs his three friends, they kneel down and they pray. And they beg God to give them the answer to the dream. Daniel never quits. From the beginning of his captivity all the way to the end of his life, he kept running and running to God. And he never looked back. May that be said of us today. No matter what circumstance, what turmoil may be thrown at us, may we learn to be like Daniel. To stay faithful. To stay calm. And to stay active for his honor and his glory. Pray with me now.